Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. I am Rachel Woody. I'm here with Carl Dauenauer. It's February 4th at Hour of the Dauen Winery. Is that correct? That's correct. And our first question for you, Carl, is why wine? Pardon me? Why wine? Why wine? Well, it, it, comes, it comes about in my life, life story is that back in 1980 and before, I farmed about 1,200 acres of land, everything, everything you can see out here and up on the hills and everything. And one day I was out there, I had several employees, and I had three full-time employees and then the three children, and I had 14 seedling employees. And one day I got away from the whole thing and I went up on the hill where there's grapes planted today and we farmed that property and I was plowing back and forth and I was just, all of a sudden, I stopped. Stopped the tractor and then I took, and looking around, looking down, I could see home and everything and I was looking and all of a sudden then I turned the tractor off and slid back and put my feet up on the, on the dash and I says, what's in it for Carl? And so that's a period of time, that's a period of time that I had to make a decision, I thought I had to make a decision. And so I had been following the wine industry for a long, long time and Dick Erath was a good friend of mine. When Dick opened, we were one of his main accountants. And so anyway, this is, and then we raised, we raised grape plants for Dick Erath in, in the time before there was major grape producer that grew vines and everything. We grew, grew them for Dick and so consequently I just thought that this is, I need to do something. And you know, if I set aside 40 acres, what, what's 40 acres from 1,200? You know, it doesn't, it isn't very much and so. But that's when the big culture shock started. I mean, it was a, it was a real, it was real, it was real quick doing it because I had a, had a lot of people that I worked with, and so it was simple. And it's just like when when we planted them 37 acres, we planted them in two and a half hours, all the plants, and then we com- then as you see in the pictures, then we started to cover the plants and and prepare them. And then we did it all together different than most people because we watered the plants and we raised them to make them strong and vibrant to begin with mm-hmm. instead of just wait, letting them struggle like some people did in those days. But at the present, then at the, that time, we just went along and uh, we, raised, we raised the plants and took, took ideas and different things. And so I belonged to the, uh, the Oregon Horticulture Society which at that time handled all of the handled all the grape procedures and everything, just like they do strawberries and bush beans and everything today. But there was only there's probably only about 18 of us that that went to the grape the grape symposium. It was down at Oregon State College at that time, and so 
then the time that I went, they asked anybody that had grapes, we were going to start an organization of, of uh, fruit growers. And so I was there on the ori original momentum of that. We worked through that, and then they started the Wine Growers Association. And with the help of Porter Lombard, I don't know if you know Porter Lombard. You do know Porter. He's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> and so, consequently, this is, this, is how we, this is how we got started. And one of, the reasons, one of the reasons that I started to drink wine, I learned how to drink wine in, in, in 1954 in Tokyo, Japan. And the price of, of French Burgundy at that time with the exchange and everything was only about 75 cents a, a, a bottle. Okay, if you can imagine that because of the exchange and so that's sort of, And that's when I was in the, I was in the Korean conflict and the, I was wounded and so I, they sent me over there. So I spent a little time there in Japan and then they sent me back, so. So it was in Japan that you were tasting Burgundy wine, which sort of set you down a path of enjoying wine, is that correct? Well, when I came home, I had this, I had this passion, I had this passion of always drinking wine, you know. I chose to drink wine at dinner time when we went to dinners. Other people drank cocktails and they drank beer, but I just chose to drink wine. And so through that period of time, I just, I just instilled a, something in myself to drink wine. I just, so just, I guess that's what you're made to do. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What was it like to start a vineyard from scratch? The what? What was it like to start the vineyard from scratch? Uh, Completely new. It was a real culture shock. You know, you just had small plants out there. And of course we used weed control at that period of time and different things, but all of a sudden, uh, it was just, it's always been a secondary thing. I mean, the primary thing that we do is we farmed. And so this is, this is all, this is kind of my project. I guess you can say that. At the present time, at the present time, I have a four acre park that I started about eight years ago and started just with brush and made beautiful four acres of beautiful nut, lush grass. And, and one of my uh, grandsons, the gentleman, Alan has worked for me now as a winemaker, and he, uh, he was married there last fall, and so, and that's probably what we're gonna do is have several of the other grandchildren married there before we finish. And, uh, but you have, to have, you have to have something that belongs to yourself. And you can have a great immense of things, but if it doesn't belong to you, it, it really doesn't matter. It's just mm -hmm. something to do every day. And, for, for a little bit of interest for, for Linfield College, I took, care, I took care of the football field for about four years. And I took care of it until the first uh, national championship. And when they got the first national championship, and then all of a sudden the alumni decided that they could hire somebody to do the technical thing. And then I was, I, was invited, I was invited to the party when they dug the piece of ground, the piece of grass up and set it aside for the people who had played. I was invited to that party, so, so 
Then field is being close to us. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we talked about it being a culture shock for you to start the vineyard. Did the winery come later or was that at the same time? Yes, about, I, I never did, I never did have much strength in myself when I was, when I was in high school, I made uh, hard cider and uh, that turned out fairly well to most people's likings. But uh, then in 1991, 1991, I, I took some, some fruit and made my first wine. And from, from 1991 to 1998 is when we got our license for the winery. I made, I made wine, I bet 200 gallons or 250 gallons and the family drank it. I mean, we have a very large family, so you know, and I, and I say family, in, um, in 1950, I had 152 cousins, first cousins. Wow. And so there's still, there's still 32 of us alive yet today, and we get together two times a year for seven days at a time. Wow. So it's, uh, we're big close family. My, my, uh, my father came. My father came to this country in 1900 from Germany. Well, from East uh, uh, Yeah. Anyway, down by the the Black Sea, and and my mother came in 19. My mother came in 1926, mm. and so she was a lady of 20 years old when she came, and so. This is, this is how, this is how I came about. And so it's all just a national heritage thing with us. And so, but uh, family is very important to us. Mm -hmm. And so, but winemaking, winemaking, like I said, in 91, it, it just captured onto me and made several wines. And then with the help of Dickie Rath and, and uh, Myron, um, from Amity, can't think of his last name, but anyway, Myron. Myron Redford. Yes, Myron Redford and Vicky. They're very nice. So these are the kind of people that I associated with in the past, and uh, so, and then we started our, our first crop of grapes. We sold to Erath, to Dick Erath, and then for about number of 10 years, we sold all of our wine to Dick Erath. Wow. So, and that's, that's basically what we did. And the winery, the winery is, is what the winery consists of is that in, 19, in 1996, a winery kept me hanging out. And consequently, we lost 120 ton of Pinot Noir. And so that's why we have a winery. <laughs> I see. <laughs> and, and what we do is we make sure we go around and we make sure whenever, when all the contracts, and the biggest share of what we do is we contract the sale of fruit to other wineries. And consequently, if there's any fruit left over, then we pick them and we make wine out of it. And then we either sell it or we bulk it out to some other people. So. We have several different ways to go with everything that we do. Excellent. 
Could you tell me what the name means, uh, Hour of the Dowin for the winery, what well, that connection is? Okay, if you, if you go back in the High German, if you go back in the High German, you have a lot of, you'll have a lot of problems. There's a, they speak several languages around. They speak Yiddish around, and then they speak Low German, and they speak High German. And, and so, but in High German, it means striking of the sunrise. It, well, the first, the first inclination is striking. Okay. Well, we put in because, because we just force it a little bit and we put in striking of the sunrise as the morning erupts. So, and that's basically what it means. I've got into discussion with a lot of, lot of German people of, through the years and most of the time I win out in my conversation. <laughs> I, I, uh, and because it'll take me a little while it's, it's been about 18 years. My mother passed away, and so I haven't spoken much German for about that period of time, but it, it doesn't take long, and I can get back to talking to people, so, and I can manage to hold my own that way, so. <laughs> yes, and so that's, that's, that's what it means. And the name was brought, the, the, main, the name was brought from my, uh, my grandfather and my uh, and my father they they made the recommendation that that's what we we call it so that's how it is beautiful so what was it like coming to Oregon uh, the Oregon wine community in the 1980s when you got started with planting your vineyard um, and specifically what we're wondering is was there that sense of community that the Oregon wine pioneers talk about what sort of what was your experience with that getting started about planting the grapes? Planting the grapes and then getting into selling them and then the winery. Uh, most of the time when I ended up planting the grapes, everybody thought that I was completely crazy. And because this is, how, why do you do this out here? It's, and, and some of the people, some of the local people belonging, some of the churches wouldn't, wouldn't they used to walk down our road on Sundays Saturdays and Sundays, and they discontinued walking down our road because there was alcohol being being done on the street, and so they wouldn't come down this roadway anymore because of that reason, and so consequently, because of those people, and they're very nice. They, they I was raised with those kind of people, and so I. And I volunteered at their church, even though I didn't belong to their church, but if they needed help, I volunteered to help them with their church and different things. So consequently, we took and we pressed, we pressed fresh grape juice, and we took it to them, and we guaranteed them there was no alcohol in it, we, and that they could please try it, because we weren't trying to infest the community. But at that time, and it, back in the 1980s, you had to realize how many people thought this way. Yeah. I mean, we were at the beginning of, we were beginning of, of things that happened. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, my wife and I, my wife and I traveled into, into California back in the 80s, and back in the 80s in the, through 85 and up into 90, that was the big, you could see the beginning of the wine industry that was coming to Oregon and now we have it. 
what was back in 1980. We, the th this very same thing, the, the spotty places of the vineyards and the wineries, and you could, you can, you could name all of the, the wineries back in California at that period of time, and you could see all this happening. It's just, and here it has bloomed out. So that's, that's how we come about that way. It, it's, it's very different. It's very different to travel to different places in the world and see different things. So that's, that's one of our, I guess that's one of our privileges that we have. You mentioned some of the early folks, uh, Dick Erath, Myron Redford. Do you recall some of the other people that were on the scene that helped to influence and support you? Or vice versa, who you helped to mentor? Well, they were the, probably the, um, David Adelsheim was in, in, in business at that time, and then the Ponzi's were in that business. Uh, Bob Caravan down at Bridgeview, uh, I don't know if you know Bob Caravan or not. Bob Caravan is an old timer down from the bottom of the states, and he's a character. He's such as such as myself. He uh, he, he come from a different. He came from a different direction, and so this is this is the very. But all these people, all these people helped. All these people helped and supported us because we were a fledgling group and, and they wanted to expand their markets and they didn't have, they didn't have vineyards large enough to expand their markets. And so that's, we all worked, and back in those days, we all worked together. We all talked to one another and we drank wine together. But one of the most peculiar parts about it is that back in those days, we never drank a bottle of wine unless it was five years old. We never drank anything short. Everything was five years and longer behind. And that's one of the things that I've taken up, and this is what we try to do here. We try to serve, like red wine, we try to serve old red wine, mm. older red wine. Well, in the, today's society, a lot of people think that you gotta have it fresh. Well, the beauty that you find in beautiful old red wine is just hard to, hard to really tell a person who hadn't drank it what it's all about. Mm -hmm. we, have some, we have some that Myron made for us. I think it was 1987 and he, he got the outstanding Pinot Noir Award from the state of Oregon and it was all of our grapes. And we still drink that, 1987 wine. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of 98 wine when we started. I have a lot of small bottles of 98 wine. And if I, if I just want to drink a bottle by myself, I can open up a split and, then, and there's two glasses and a split so I can handle two glasses of wine anytime. <laughs> and so consequently, this is, this is how the organization started and this is how the, how the, the winery association started the same way. It was a deviation from the wine growers association and they took the board of directors at that time and put them in position for the, for the winery association. And so that's how that started. And a fellow named Bill Nelson was the first major person who managed that. And, and Bill worked for the, back in Washington DC in the, 
Worldwide, I think it's called, that he worked for. And so he, he's a good friend of mine also. So all of these older people that, uh, and it's getting, to be, it's getting to be a younger generation. All right, you were uh, just talking about Bill Nelson. Oh, yeah. Well, Bill has, Bill has contacted me several times, but I belong to the, I belong to the National Association, and so, uh, and we commute back and forth whenever he's in town, we visit with one another, and, and always just the same way with Porter, Porter Lombard is the same place, same way when he stops, he always comes. And Porter used to bring Porter used to bring people by back in the back in the eighties when and we're still working and he used to stop stop here and he'd show people he says probably he says this is gonna be the first vineyard that can support itself oh. and you make a profit. That's it, impressive. No, it is. It's just very impressive. Uh, but because I use I I use a different type of trellis and I and I probably don't adhere to everybody what everybody tells me what to adhere to. But we usually find people that are interested in quality fruit, and as long as you can grow quality fruit, it doesn't matter how much tonnage you put on the wire. Quality fruit is quality fruit, and it makes beautiful wine. So that's all we're interested in. But some people dislike my conversation about that, but the vineyard has carried us for a long, long time, so, so that's what it is. And one of the things is that the, everything that happens here is done by the family, it, uh, all family members. Like my grandson at the present time, he'd been working with me now for nine years. I sent him to Chemeketa and he, he spent three years at the Chemeketa and and came out of there, and then we have a we have a program that then I taught him how to make wine after he, after he supposedly learned how. <laughs> but they have a different they have a different they have a different computation when they teach people. They teach everybody the practical ways and the things that you're supposed to do. But it it, it doesn't cover it doesn't cover all the areas in which. You need to do something and you need to do it immediately. You just can't wait to theorize this. You just have to taste the wine and understand you, you have to move. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, that's what I've taught him and he's, he's doing real well. So he also makes wine for another winery at the present time besides he works here. So, And then I fill in for him when he's not available to be here. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, so, and then I, we have our own distribution route. We don't have a distributor, we do our own distribution route. That isn't well liked by most people, but this is, this is another way that we can keep our product going down the road, so. Mm -hmm. And this is how we do. Uh, we are there, I have, a, I have a daughter and two sons and each of those, all of those, all of those people at one time or another work here or do something for us. And uh, even my grandchildren, they, um, I had one, one granddaughter that got graduated from Oregon State and she graduated and she couldn't get a job. And I says, well, I have a job. And I says, uh, 
Until you find a job, you probably won't like it, but you can, I have a job for you. And she, she's very successful. She got it, she worked here for about five, five and a half months and she had an opportunity for a job and she's in a very good career. So we have, we have eight grandchildren. And uh, so that's, that probably, that's probably the reason we're still here. We moved, we need, moved on this piece of dirt in 1964. So we've been there ever since. And when we moved here, there was just, there wasn't much. And everything that you, everything what you see today is something that my wife and I have, have built here and the children. So mm -hmm. this is, this is how we operate. We didn't come from any place else. I was born, by the way, I was born in Boston, Oregon, which is 10 miles from here. And my wife was born in McCoy, which is about 10 miles from here. So we just haven't traveled very far. And, uh, but that's what we enjoy too. Mm -hmm. So. What were some of the challenges growing wine in Oregon? Some of the challenges, some of the challenges is when we, when we started and we planted the vineyard, one of the things is, is one, our big challenge was nobody had, nobody had <clears throat> raised grapes on flat ground. We're the first flat ground vineyard in the state of Oregon. And so consequently, nobody had any, any literature on, on how to, how to take care of how to take care of the vines. So we, we made the thing that we'll have 10 foot rows and, some, and you'll see, sometimes you'll see five and six foot rows up on the hill. But it, when you're up on the hills, it's curiosity because when you're on the hills, there's slopes and different things and like that. And there's air drainage that travels up those slopes from the bottom because of the heat in the day, the heat heats up the bottom and it, it travels up through there. Well, we don't have that. When we have heat here, it stays here. And that's another thing too. We farm up there on Walnut Hill Road. And uh, on, on that piece, we put a, um, I put a thermometer, a high and a low thermometer, and we kept the, the daily temperatures and we had one down here. We did it for, for a whole season. And every day we were four degrees warmer down here than it was up on the hill. Mm -hmm. because of, probably because of the, the slightness in the evening when the, the hill would get, be shaded or what. But anyway, we were always warmer. Mm -hmm. we, and so, but then we had to protect ourselves from mildew and mildew was a big item. And so we manufactured a thing to take and, and uh, to have, <clears throat> to take care of the mildew and we made a program and it doesn't fit anybody else's program because it's specially built for us. And, and, it, it's, it, and the, reasons, the reason you say it, it, the scars on my back will show you that this is the reason that we have it. it uh, when, we make it when we made a mistake, most of the mistakes were our own mistakes, but that's how you, that's how you learn things, mm -hmm. by your mistakes. So consequently, we learned how to do that and then then the, the very best thing is the first crop of Pinot Noir. We had a beautiful crop of, of fledging Pinot Noir. We probably had a half a ton, something like that. We were really proud of it. And we were looking at it one morning 
we're looking at it, no, we need to pick this. And so, okay, we'll pick it tomorrow, okay? And tomorrow came, and guess what? Rain? No, the birds took it all. Oh, no. <laughs> the birds took it all. <laughs> so anyway, then the bird began to be a problem, okay? So anyway, what the bird problem is, then we read some, read some articles. We read some articles about a, a rotating pyramid. It's a, it's a three-sided, it's a pyramid. It sits in and it rotates, it just rotates around and turns around and around. And it catches the, the light, catches the, the flash of the light and it sends light in this direction and up here and then uh, higher. And we found out that birds, or flashes of light bothers birds, and mm -hmm. so when you get flashes of light, then that dispenses the birds. So we have three of them now. We started with one and it was satisfactory. So we have three of them, and we position them early in the early in the season in the vineyard. And so we start to program early with the birds to keep the birds away. And, but there's time before that we had all kinds of things and three or four people with shotguns and everything. Mm -hmm. And I believe last year, I think there was probably only about 12 shots shot in the whole total season to get rid of the birds. And so, the, and then we do use cannons but we found out that as soon as you start a cannon, you attract birds. And everybody else, when everybody else starts their cannons and they attract the birds, we don't move, we stay still, we don't move, and, everybody, and the birds stay away also. Hmm. And I'm, I'm very, I try to be very friendly with our neighbors. Uh, and it's unfortunate I don't have that book out here, but the, the neighbors, the, the new young neighbors moved in a couple years ago and they walk in the vineyard, they walk every evening or such and they took pictures of the vineyard from pruning on up through the beautiful, beautiful pictures and they gave it to me for Christmas. Oh, lovely. And uh, they uh, thanked me for allowing them to do that. So. But we do, we, do allow, we do allow people to walk, in the, walk around the vineyard and one of the things we do is we have, we have roadways around the vineyard that all have gravel on them. Mm -hmm. So you won't, it won't bother you in the winter time or what. So, and it's nice walking in the winter also. Mm -hmm. So, but these are some of the things and then as, as we went along and we changed the canopies, we changed our canopies and we used to have a wire at 40 inches and a wire at, at 60 inches. Well, we went to a single wire, a single cordon at, at 60 inches because when we had the one at the bottom, we raised, everybody says we raised way too much fruit. Hmm. So we, we decided we, wouldn't, we discontinued the one on the bottom, and, but we still, we still have quality because you can control, you can control how much fruit you want to raise by the canes, the, the length of the canes and everything you do. Mm -hmm. And um, we have experiments. We have some, we have some plants that are, <clears throat> are six by ten. We have some five by ten, and we have some three by ten in the vineyard. The three by ten is an experiment to see 
how much how much load we can actually put on the on the grapes and and have good quality production. Mm. So we we stumbled through that. We stumbled through that, and uh, we got to a position where we're we're very sufficient. But another thing we do also, this soil down here doesn't react the same way as as the soil, the red soil on the hill. If you're going to continue to take the, the amount of crop that we take off, we fertilize. And in years past, fertilization was not very well spoken of, but we've used it for years and years. And one of the things, one of the things that we did about four years ago is we took and we took a soil sample and we took a petiole sample. You take petiole samples in, in, uh, in August and the petiole is a, is a piece between the leaf and the stem. Okay, you take, take that apart and you send that to a laboratory and they take analysis of it and then they took a soil sample and we wanted to see where we were in comparison. And the soil and the petiole samples were was less than 2% difference in, in all of the values of all the nutrient values, which you should, we think we should have to grow grapes. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, this is another thing that we've, we've done. We, we support that. We don't advertise it. We merely just, this is something that we learn to do and because you have to. And that another thing is that a lot of time on the hillside, the soil is sometimes shallow and sometimes very deep. But where we are, we have 25 foot, the same texture of soil, and it's woodburn type soil, and it's 25 foot in depth, the same texture. So we have, most of our plants are down, the taproot is down 16 feet in the ground. Wow. And so after 16 feet, you come to basically total darkness and there isn't much of anything grows after 16 feet. So that's, uh, that's one of the things. And somebody asked us, did we water last year? We're, we're very well, we're capable of watering. We have water on the property. And, <clears throat> but I just laughed and I said, no, you know, the beautiful, the super hot days when it got up to 100 and, two or three degrees, the super hot days, the vines just stood there and just smiled at you. Mm. There was no, no shriveling or anything. It was just, they just sat there and smiled at you. And that's what, those are the kind of phrases I use. They're probably technical ways, but this explains it to most people. <laughs> but th these are some of the challenges. And then, like I says, when we started, when we started in and, and we started, uh, we, we started in the, in the wine business and we started selling wine and different, it was, it wasn't, it, it was easy. It seemed a lot easier back in those days when we started back in 98, 99. But my, my daughter-in-law, she still had, she still had children and still had children at home and going to school. But anyway, she took it upon herself to do that. And she does that a couple of days a week. And so, and like I say, if we need, if we have bottling to do, we just tell some of the people in the family and they show up. Wow. Yeah, no, it, 
it's uh, by osmosis. I guess you could call it osmosis. So, but anyway, that's this is this is how we. It's very simple operation. It's so simple it's uh, almost pathetic. So, but and through the through the years through the years we've learned how to we've learned we've learned to let the plants take care of themselves. And so <clears throat> we don't have a full-time person that goes to the vineyard. Sometimes we spray every, about every 14 days, we spray about every 14 days, but other than that, we never have somebody, there's nobody bothers the vines, we just. And then there's certain times, like when it's bloom time, when it's bloom time, the period as it starts to bloom, we spray before that, and then we wait through the period about three-quarter bloom and we spray again. But nobody goes in the vineyard at all and nobody creates any dust. We don't want any dust to take and, and impregnate the blooms and then, then that would cause botrytis when the, in the fall, okay? Now when a, when a grape blooms, it has four beautiful petioles. Mm -hmm. Petioles that stick up and there are four beautiful blooms on every berry. So it's just a big fuzzy ball when, it, when it's in full bloom. So, and that's a beautiful time. That's a beautiful time too. And there's a period of time too, but with our, with our type of, the way we train, where we train the vines, and when we train the vines, we, we bring the vines together, the cordons together, the two arms together, and when we tie it, we only have one tie. Okay, so they're allowed to roll over or do whatever they want to. They can roll over and they won't break, won't break off or anything else. If you tied them in more positions, they would break off, have a tendency to break. These just roll with everything is by nature. When, when the, the whole thing comes about, we have about 98, 90, about 90% 90 of the, the clusters are exposed to the, the major sunshine. And there's sometimes, <clears throat> if it's a real wet year, we'll have to pull some leaves on the, on the eastern side, but most of the time, we don't even pull leaves anymore. So, it, it's a beautiful, it's, a, it, it's turned to be a beautiful, beautiful vineyard, so. Mm -hmm. so. You covered a lot of wonderful things in that answer. I'm wondering if it's possible to summarize it in sort of like a, a philosophy. So if I were to ask you, what is your grape growing philosophy? Would you have a, an answer for me? Uh, one of the philosophies I have about it in the, in the, in the winery is cleanliness is close to godliness. That covers it all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the philosophy that I use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, everything, everything we do in the vineyard is preventative maintenance. We don't do anything, we don't run after anything. We do it way before because we understand, because we live the vineyard. And somebody asked, somebody asked me the other day, and, and of course, and I must say, I must say on, on this thing, I, at the present time, I'm 81 years old. And 
I, I do work. I, I help spray. We have two spray units that we use. My grandson and I use, and most of the time, on an average day, it'll take two and a half, two and a half days to spray the vineyard properly. If we really get, if we really get into a bind, and we really something really has to happen, we can do it in a day and a half. But it's very, very long hours. Okay. But these are. These are the things, it, it's part of just a living body and a living life, and that's how, I guess that's how we address it. What was, uh, or what is, one of the most important things you've learned in starting the vineyard, the winery, during your time here? Uh, m mostly. Mostly the biggest thing I've, I've learned is I've, I've learned to love a lot of things. You know, good and the bad, you have to learn, love a lot of things. And one of the, one of the issues that came up is in, in the 35 years I've been involved in, in grape industry, I've, I've, seen, I've seen making wine out of 100% botrytis two times. Myron Redford did one, and I was there when he did that, okay, and I did one, okay, and when I did it, it's amazing because they were, the, the clusters were totally, totally engulfed in botrytis, solid botrytis, with maybe a few berries at the very, very bottom. That's the only fruit that you could actually see. And I, we picked it and brought it in, and my grandson says, what are you going to do with that, Grandpa? And I says, we're going to make wine out of it. It's been a long time. And the, the funny part about it is that Myron taught me that there's, there's really four kinds of, there are four kinds of, of um, botrytis. There's the red, the yellow, and the green. And you can break them open and you can actually see the color of the, this different color of the botrytis when you break one of these open. Mm -hmm. Myron, Myron is a sort that he could take one of these clusters and munch it. I've never been able to do that. I've tried to bite down onto it, but I couldn't, I couldn't. And it's, it's just like fuzz, you know, just like fuzz. So anyway, we made this, <laughs> we took and pressed this. Now, it, about 50, it's less than 10% that was actually, you could see the fruit, but we pressed this. We got about 600 gallons, we got about 600 gallons, and so, and my grandson says, what are you going to do with it now, Grandpa? And I says, let's inoculate it. Okay, we inoculated it, and now I says, let's put it outside. Well, it won't ferment outside. I says, that's the way it has to be. It has to be outside. So we put it outside and it went through a fermentation stage clear into March, last part of March. And at that period of time, we opened the lid. And when we opened the lid on the stainless steel tank, there was 20 inches of fuzz sitting on top of something. And I says, and he told me that this terrible fuzz is sitting on top of this. And I said, no. I says, just hang on. And so I went and got a strainer. I went and got a strainer and he scooped it off and we put it in buckets and we took it off until we got down, we got down to about this much. 
Okay, and so then we left it there and we checked the, how the fermentation was and they taste, tasted it. He says, uh, you want to taste it? No, he says, I don't want to taste it. I said, yeah, oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> so anyway, we took, and, we took and did this and then we took it off the leaves. It was on, been on the leaves all the time. We took it off the leaves and then we dealt with it as a regular wine. And then we sent, we sent it away. We called it late harvest. Botrytis Riesling, and we sent it to the Finger Lake, there, Finger Lake area in New York, and we have a, we got a medal back from them, and it's wow. very. This is a special thing because it's only two times in the 35 years, 36 years I've been involved that I, it was possible to do. There's other people that tried it and didn't make it, so. But this is a great big, this is a big challenge for me because, and you probably, uh, Myron, Myron Redford and, and Dick Erath are the one that showed me how to, how to supposedly make wine, so. And this is, so, and, and uh, there's a young fellow, Ransom Spirits, Tad Seastead, which, he worked for us for a couple of years, and Tad has a very good business today. And uh, so uh, he, he was—he said to me one day, he says um, he came and he tasted barrels, and he just sat up on the ladder and tasted barrels. He says, "Carl, who showed you how to do this?" And I said, "Tad, it's just something that must be." And so the, this is. This is how it is. I, I can't explain it. I've I've um, I've stayed away I've stayed away from the educational value because I insulted somebody. He was they were tasting my wine, and he asked me where I went to learn how to make wine, and I, I told him I just it came by nature, and he left his glass and he left. Mm. <laughs> So I don't enter into the conversation. I've been, we've been very successful, mm -hmm. but I make wine for people. I don't make it for myself. I make wine for other people to drink. I mean, I enjoy drinking it, but other people enjoy it because it's made their way to drink it. It's not made my way. Some people can make wine and they think it's probably the best wine in the world, but nobody can drink it, mm -hmm. consequently. That's the difference, and that's part of the love that, that I spoke about. Uh, where do you see the future of Oregon wine going? Pardon me? Where do you see the future of Oregon wine growing? I, I, think, I think someday, I think someday probably all of the hills, all of the hills will be covered with, with vines. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's just like, uh, you could, you could go back to California and you could go down there on the, on the Silverado Trail and everything and you could just, you, this is what it's gonna look like. Mm -hmm. This is what it's gonna look like. And it, I think the reason for it is the, peril, the parallel what we're, that we're actually on. I think it, it's a good growing region. It doesn't make any difference what you grow or what you do. It's a good growing area. And everybody talks about, you know, the changing climate. 
I, I think that, you know, everybody's stuck with Pinot Noir and there's some people making Syrah now because of the hot summers and that'll be fine and dandy, the Syrah and everything else will make it real well, except when we have a, a normal year. And I've, as long as I've been in the industry, as long as I've been right around here, there is a normal year coming, okay? So we have beautiful weather last year and the year before, and I don't believe, I, I believe there's something to do with the climate change, but I think it's a rotation of the natural progression of the world. I think it's the great old philosophy about the wheel, and the wheel keeps turning, okay? And it'll turn back to the same place. That's my philosophy. But I don't say that, I don't say the other people, but we have just begun to see some of the people. We're, and we're seeing, we're seeing vineyards, we're seeing people come out of Australia, and we're seeing people come out of Chile, and they're taking and um, getting, buying property and planting grapes and everything else. They want to be in the big society when it comes. Now, Africa is a big society too. They have a large, a large thing in, in Africa, but down around the Horn. But Africa, I don't know will ever be what we're gonna be here. But even if we produce all the wine that we can produce in Oregon, it's only gonna be maybe 3% of the total wine in the world. So, and I keep track of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, well, Oregon right now doesn't even do 1% of what they, what they sell in, in the United States. So, and everybody thinks, oh, there's too much. Well, primarily there's too much, but we're gonna get, we're gonna come into a, we're gonna come into a position and we're in the, we're going to get into dollar and cents. There's a lot of high-dollar wine, and and the, and the people that make high-dollar wine, they rightfully so. But there's a place for that, the intermediate, and there's a place for the lower-end wine also. And the whole world will come together. We'll all come together together. Instead of going this way and that way, we need to come together this way. That's what makes it work. That's. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's a great answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you have children and grandchildren and, who have helped out and still help out. Are you hoping that one of them will take over eventually when you retire? Or sort of what are your plans retirement-wise? Uh, uh, I, I think that uh, <clears throat> I, I look at it a little differently, OK? I believe somebody has to want something instead of me giving it to them. You know, if I give something to somebody, I don't think it'll be appreciated half as much as somebody who wants something and makes an offer to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got here. And that's how I started, you know? And so, uh, in retiring, I think that, I think the day that they, uh, the day that I lie there, that's the day that I'm retired. 
Do you have any advice for people just starting out in the industry? Uh, we have one of the major one of the major things we do. We do the regular one, but one of the major things we do is we have an Easter egg hunt, an adult Easter egg hunt. Yes, it had to be 21 years of age. Okay. And we take them out into the vineyard and we put them in a hundred We have a hundred acres out there in this one, in the one total acres, a hundred acre. We had, last year we hid 857 eggs. And people, people buy positions to come and hunt Easter eggs. Some on crutches, some, some with, with walkers and they come to be a kid again. Mm. That's the only big one we have. <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of people, a lot of people, and they're different, different people, but they just, and like I say, you know, they come, and uh, there was one, one year, several years ago, we, we uh, count noses to make sure everybody got out of the vineyard and all of a sudden there was somebody that didn't get out of the vineyard so we went looking for them and so we went all over the vineyard and we have a we have a place in the back that looks down into the creek and there's a big madrona tree beautiful madrona tree and here nice piece of grass and here this man and wife were laying on this piece of grass just enjoying just enjoying the afternoon because a beautiful sunshiny day. Mm -hmm. And we ask, is there a problem? Oh no, we were just, well, we need to get on with the program because we, we have food and everything to serve. To, and so, so it brings peace to a lot of people. The day before Easter. Mm. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have or anything else you want to cover? Pardon me? Is there anything else that I should ask you or any other? I, I don't believe, I don't believe there is. I, I don't know. I said, I, I just, I do enjoy, I do enjoy that the fact that you came here today. Um, and we do support Linfield College. We have for some time, we belong the Partners in Progress. And uh, so, but this is, I, I just appreciate the, there's a lot of good people that is, that's went with, along with me mm. as we come to this point. So I thank you for that. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for your time today and sharing your story. You're more than welcome. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.